As Hal mentioned earlier, my name is Matt Seipel. I am uh, one of the pastors here. I uh, only worked here full-time for a few years, but I've been at Redeemer, I don't know, almost 20 years. And one of the great things about being in one place for a long time is that you learn how to, how to work with other people who are different from you. So, you know, Hal didn't know he was going to talk that long, but I did. So it's, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Um, if you are, if you're visiting this morning, we just finished up a sermon series through the Gospel of John a couple weeks ago, and then we started a new series uh, for the summer this past Sunday on First John. And so you might know, or you, or you might just remember that in John's Gospel, he has this kind of purpose statement uh, near the end of the book in chapter twenty. He says he writes, uh, "So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ." the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, in 1 John, he has another kind of, kind of purpose statement uh, in chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, but here he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see that little difference there? Uh, in the gospel, uh, he wants us to believe and to have life. But here in the letter, he's writing to those who already have faith in Christ. John wants them to know uh, that they have eternal life. In other words, they have it, but he writes, he writes to bolster uh, their assurance. So you'll want to keep that in mind, not only today, but through the rest of the summer as we continue uh, to look at 1 John. If you'll go ahead and turn there in your Bibles with me. Uh, 1 John's right near the end of the New Testament. If you can find uh, Revelation before that's Jude, and then before that you get the three letters of 1, 2, and 3 John. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 5, through the second verse in chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, uh, we do have it printed for you there in the bulletin. You can follow along with me. This is 1 John, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for what we just read, and we pray now that you would take these words and that you would bless them to our hearts. Help us to believe all that you have to teach us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, the 1880s, um, about 140 years ago, there was a German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche. And he wrote this famous uh, short phrase, God is dead. Now, uh, many have misunderstood that phrase as kind of a triumphant 
claim, but actually this was, this was very concerning uh, to Nietzsche because he, he knew uh, that whatever we were going to make out of God, he knew that he would have to be replaced by something, and he didn't know uh, what we were going to try to replace him with. And as a fellow pastor, a friend of mine pointed out recently, uh, everyone, everyone here this morning, whatever you think of Nietzsche's claim about God, uh, you all know that loneliness isn't dead. Uh, we all know that the search for meaning and significance isn't dead. And even, even the most secular among us, we know uh, that guilt is not dead. In fact, modern psychology uh, began around the same time that Nietzsche wrote his famous words because all of us, uh, every one of us, long for something that's beyond ourselves. What we long for is to have fellowship uh, with the God who made us. Uh, We read a few questions out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism earlier, but the the most familiar question for most of us is that first question, uh, what is the chief end of man, many of you know the answer that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, it's not that God wants us just to know that he's glorious, but to know him and to enjoy his glory. Do you know, do you know how to enjoy God? Do you know how to have fellowship with him? Uh, When John wrote his letter here, Christianity had only been around for just a few decades, but already in his congregation there were false teachers among them. We learn in later sections of the same letter that these people were denying uh, that Jesus really was the Christ, that he was the Son of God who'd come in the flesh. It seems like these false teachers had probably already left the congregation, but they were trying to convince others to join them, that they were the ones who had the true uh, religion. Remember uh, from verse 3 that we looked at last week, John wanted his people to have fellowship with him and with the Father and with the Son. And the false teachers, what they were claiming was that they could have fellowship with God without Jesus. And so as John seeks to comfort his people, he has these false claims in view, and he not only wants to show why those claims are wrong, but he wants to teach his people how to have true fellowship with God. That's my question for us this morning. How can we have true, real, and lasting fellowship uh, with God? What we'll look at is three sort of steps or, or three things that we need to know in order to have that fellowship. First, well, we need to know who God actually is if we're going to have fellowship with him. Uh, if, we, if we reduce God to just a concept, um, if we reduce him to some philosophy, some kind of way of thinking that could lead to a higher life, well, then we'll, we'll never have fellowship uh, with the true and living God. Uh, we need to know the truth about sin, that is, uh, if God is who he says he is, well, then sin is just not something uh, that can be taken lightly if we're going to have fellowship with God. And then lastly, uh, the third thing, we need to see how it is that Christ bridges that gap. If sin inhibits our fellowship with God, then only, only a sinless mediator uh, will do. So we'll look at who God is, the truth about sin, 
and then this sinless uh, mediator. So first, if, if you want to have fellowship with God, well, it's very simple. You need to understand who God actually is. And John's order uh, should be instructive to us here as well. Uh, we always, always have to begin with God. Uh, even just to understand ourselves, uh, we have to understand the one uh, who made us. And who is God? Well, John makes it sort of strikingly simple. He says, God is light. Isn't that interesting? John says he can sum up all that he heard from Jesus and all that he seeks to proclaim to his congregation in this one uh, short little phrase, God is light. And he's already told us uh, in his gospel that Jesus uh, was the light of the world. But here, God is a light. He's not like the light. He's not a type of light. It wouldn't even be quite right to say that he was the brightest light. He says God is light. Now this is, uh, this is a metaphor we see used uh, throughout Scripture, given a lot of different connotations. I, I think for John here, he really, he really has two categories uh, in mind, two categories that we, we kind of need to hold together. Uh, the first one is that as light, it is God's very nature to reveal himself, all uh, knowledge and all truth come from him. Uh, but second, and, and at the same time as light, God is absolutely righteous, absolutely pure and true and holy. And so he says, in him is no darkness at all. This is just a negative uh, statement of the same truth he's already said, that There's the strongest possible contrast between God and darkness. And just as the light refers to his holiness, uh, darkness is is not just a lack of brightness here. He's talking about evil. And the false teachers, they don't don't have the slightest grasp uh, of this reality. They don't even know who God is and beginning with themselves. They, They run into all kinds of blasphemy here. So do you know God? Do you know God as your highest good? You see, the glory, the glory of heaven will be to know God with glorified hearts and minds and to gaze upon him with resurrected eyes. But do you know him now? Do you want to know who God is? Do you... Search his word where he's revealed himself most clearly so that you can grow in your knowledge of him. Do you really know all that you need to know about God? Is there there any more pressing concern in your life than knowing the God who is light? You see, if if you want the good life, and, and, and don't misunderstand me, you... We all want the good life. You should want the good life. Well, then you must know the one who gives life. And not in bits and pieces. We're to have a deep desire to know him as our highest good and end. Now, I don't, I don't know all the Christians in Athens. But as I talk with you, uh, just as, as one of your pastors, what... I'll often see, and it does 
it does concern me at times is a desire. It's, it's not so much to enjoy God, uh, but to benefit from him. You see, it's, it's not so much to learn how it is that we can bow down before our father, but to have this kind of grandfather of like worldly hopes and dreams. The angels in heaven don't say that God is nice, nice, nice. He is holy, holy, holy. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Is this how how you think of God? The Bible teaches us that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And it's in the New Testament we learn that he is still a consuming fire. Uh, Later on in 1 John, he'll tell us that God is love, but he is light first. You won't grasp his love if you don't first grasp that God is light. Fellowship with God must include a real and genuine reverence for his majesty, his greatness, his absolute holiness. And the closer you get to that light, the more your own darkness is exposed. And so if you're going to have fellowship with him, you not only need to know him, but we need to understand the truth about sin, about our own sin. In other words, we we have to come to an understanding of the barriers of that fellowship with him. And so John, he he deals with several claims about sin here, uh, mistaken views that, that he wants to address, most likely the claims that the false teachers themselves were making. Uh, the first claim he makes about sin is in verse 6, um, that you could actually have fellowship with God while walking in the darkness. In other words, living in open and unrepentant sin. You see, the false teachers, they, they weren't saying that what they were doing was good. They were saying that sin just didn't matter. They were saying that fellowship with God was about our thoughts. It was about knowledge and ideas that the real stuff was in the soul, not how we actually live on earth. But true religion, true religion without ethics, it's not only an illusion, John tells us it's a lie. If we live in open and unrepentant sin, for John it's very simple, you do not have fellowship with God because he's light. He will not have fellowship with darkness. In contrast, he says Christians are those who walk in the light. It's what they do. He doesn't mean a kind of sinless perfection, but living in light of the truth of his revelation of the light itself, living without deceit, without any Conscious, tolerated sin, a sincere seeking after God who is light. And then he adds uh, that when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
You have to remember here, he's, he's writing to those who he said already believe. So he's not saying, look, if you behave, then Jesus' blood cleanses your sin. But instead, when you walk in the light, then you will know, you will be convinced of Jesus' blood. The point here, the point here is that there is no peace with God while we walk in darkness. In fact, there, there just isn't any real way to tell the difference between an apostate and a Christian who's temporarily fallen into sin. They look the same. The only difference is that one of them comes back. And John's saying there is no assurance in the midst of your sin, only when we turn from our sin. It's, um, it's sort of out of fashion to be seen as a serious person. But there's nothing more serious uh, than our sin. And to take our sin lightly is to take the blood of Christ lightly. As one pastor put it, uh, anyone who teaches you that you can wallow in your sin and be welcomed by God, he is not your friend. He's your enemy. So that's the first claim. Well, sin's no big deal. Now, the second claim is that sin is actually just no longer a problem in their lives. And just as John said, it's, it's as though John said, you can't walk in the darkness and maintain fellowship. And they respond, darkness? We don't have any darkness. So John says in verse 8, well, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, it's similar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, the, the false teachers believed they could have fellowship with Jesus, I'm, or I'm sorry, with God without Jesus because they didn't need any cleansing. They thought it was possible to, to reach a point in their lives where forgiveness was simply no longer necessary. My guess is. There's no one here uh, quite so bold to claim that they have no sin. But, you know, a thing that we hear is that we talk about sin too much at Redeemer. You know, sure, I sin. Everybody sins, but I'm not a bad person. Everybody's doing their best. Maybe you think of sin as this thing that just kind of happens to you and that if if your circumstances had just been a little different, you'd, you'd be like a real saint among us. I mean, you just think it. Or you say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, there's something about that that's wonderfully true. But if, if what you mean by that is, hey, lighten up. Why so serious? Uh, you are deceiving yourself. God is not deceived. Uh, if, you, if you don't think that you are a sinner, as in down in your bones, and that your sins deserve hell, then you are the one that's in the dark. And the truth, uh, that is the light of God's revelation. John says it's not in you, because if the light was present, your darkness would be exposed. And even more, it's, it's not just a self-lie. 
He says you make God out to be a liar. When, when John says his word is not in us, he means something like, have you not read your Bible? Denying the presence and persistence of sin is a denial of God's verdict on the human race. And to downplay your own role in sin just shows that God's word has made no real impact on you. And there's lots of ways. There's lots of ways that we can downplay sin that don't include an actual denial that we sin at all. I doubt many here would deny it outright. But, you know, we do this comparison thing, this kind of little minimizing game that we play with ourselves and others. And like the Pharisee in Luke 18, he looked at the tax collector and he thanked God that he was not like other men. Perhaps you've looked on others in this congregation and maybe you've thanked God that you're not like the sinner section or the center section. Um, maybe you thank God that you're not, you're not like those kind of happy, clappy, non-denominational Christians. You're not like those stuffy country club Christians. Maybe you thank God that you're not like those bleeding heart liberals or cutthroat conservatives. Maybe you thank God that you're just not like that adulterer or that drunk that you know. But John is telling us Christians are well acquainted with their own sins. This is why he says fellowship with God, fellowship with the light and with the truth, it comes with confession. It's not... It's not just a bare admission of sin. Confession is to agree with God. That's what we do when we confess our faith together. And when we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God about what our sins are, about their character. We're not denying them or minimizing them in any way. But we say with the tax collector who he couldn't even lift his eyes. He could only beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. I don't know if some of you remember Stuart Smalley. He was a character on Saturday Night Live in the 90s. And he hosted a little self-help show called Daily Affirmations. And he would look in the mirror and say things like, I deserve good things. I am an attractive person. And his little tagline was, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And I thought about this this week. It occurred to me that this was a joke in 1992, but it's how real, respectable people talk to each other now. (laughs) But there's no freedom in self-deceit. Freedom comes with honesty before God. And you can only be honest with God when you know that you can trust him, when you know that he's not only light, but he is love. And so John adds in verse 9, when we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
In other words, he is the God who keeps his promises. He is utterly true to himself. And he's also just. You might wonder, well, well, how is that helpful? Why, Why would God's justice encourage me to confess my sins? Justice usually has to do with his punishment or righting uh, some other wrong. But if I'm confessing my own sins, the wrong that I've done, well, how is his justice going to be good for me? Well, the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from all sin. It's because of Christ's work on the cross. It would actually be unjust for God not to forgive all of those who believe in his son. Every religion, every religion has some conception of sin, but it's only Christianity and it's only in the cross that God's justice and mercy, they're not at all opposed, but they come together on our behalf. For some of you, maybe the only time that you confess your sins is in this room on Sunday morning. But let me tell you what I've found. What I've learned is that there is a real beauty and a wonder in confessing my sins to God because it's where Jesus becomes truly sweet to me. It's where I can turn to him and say nothing on my behalf but the great things that Jesus has done. And so if you want fellowship with God, well, you have to know him. You have to come to grips with your own sin. But lastly, through confession, we see God's willingness to meet us in his son. Jesus Christ is the only path to true fellowship with God. And there's, actually, there's actually quite a bit of rich theology packed into these last couple of verses. But before John turns uh, to these glorious truths about Jesus, he actually wants to remind us one more time. Look, don't get the wrong idea. Look, on the one hand, it is utterly false to deny the presence of sin in this life, uh, but it's still true that we're not to sin. In fact, John says that's part of why he's writing, so that you may not sin. He wants his people to walk in the light. We need to walk in In the light, and every Christian is to be growing in their hatred of sin. It's not something to be okay with. It's not something to call just a normal part of life. And yet, at the same time, John is wonderfully realistic here. He says, if anyone does sin, in other words, when you sin, because of course Christians still sin, we don't live habitual lives of sin, but it never leaves us. And so John says, when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And this word advocate, it's it's the same word that John uses in the gospel to describe the Holy Spirit when he calls him uh, the comforter. So just as the Holy Spirit uh, speaks to God's people on Jesus' behalf, Jesus speaks on his people's behalf to the Father. And he's not like He is not like that high priest that we read about in Leviticus 16. That high priest had to make sacrifices for his own sins 
before he could come into the most holy place. And then he had to do it every year after year. But John tells us, Jesus, he comes to the Father as the righteous one. You see, he did take on flesh. And he did walk this earth and he never sinned. And that means throughout his earthly life and still now, he has fellowship with God. And it's as our advocate that he pleads our case. Satan brings accusations against us. They're true. But Jesus is there to respond to everyone. And he's not there, he's not there to defend your record. He's there to plead his own righteousness on your behalf. This is why John says he's the propitiation uh, for our sins. It means he both washes our sins away, but he also satisfies God's wrath. As the perfect and true high priest, he doesn't bring a propitiation. He is the propitiation. He pleads for mercy on the basis of what he has done. You know, sometimes people get the idea that Jesus is there to protect us from God. But John actually tells us in chapter 4 that it's God who loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is why we call him father because we're his children and he loves to forgive us in the son. United to Jesus by faith, we too can walk in the light. In other words, we can have real and lasting fellowship with God now by faith and and one day by sight because all of our sins have a perfect advocate. There's just no hope in daily affirmations. A human soul needs so much More than that, we need real fellowship with God and we can have it now by looking to Jesus, clinging to him and praising him because God is not dead. He is alive and Jesus is there at his right hand continually applying his own sacrifice to all those who put their hope in him. And so he offers a universal solution for a universal problem. Anyone who confesses their sin and seeks to walk in the light, anyone who puts all their hope in Jesus can have fellowship with the Father, and anyone who does that can sing the words, be thou my shield and hiding place that sheltered by thy side, I may my fierce accuser face and tell him thou hast died. Let's pray. God, we thank you for such a glorious Savior as Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love uh, that sent him. We thank you for his love for us that sought to obey you for 33 years and even unto death on a cross for our behalf. God, I pray that you would help each one of us here not to 
pretend that we're something we're not, not to try to brush our sins aside, but to bring them all to Jesus. I pray that you would give us true repentance, that we might know him as our king and savior and friend. We ask these things in his name. Amen.